Welcome to the Prodigy Maker Show with Chris Lewitt. Chris Lewitt is an internationally recognized high-performance coach, educator, and author of two best-selling books, The Tennis Technique Bible and The Secrets of Spanish Tennis. Tune in weekly as Chris answers questions live from around the world and discusses topics in junior development, technical and tactical training, Spanish tennis methods, and philosophies, and more. The Prodigy Maker Show is primarily focused on high-performance junior training and how to help children maximize their potential. The program features intelligent insight from Chris and debate from leaders in the high-performance industry. The show can be watched live on Chris's Facebook profile, and video versions of the show are archived at youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt. And now, here's Chris. What's up, everybody? It's the Prodigy Maker Show, episode 28, coming to you live from New York City. It's Chris, Chris Lewitt with my co-host, Sammy, the Academy Dog, the Tennis Academy Dog. Sammy, say hello. 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 How's <laughs> everyone tonight? I had one viewer telling me that I got a upgrade my production quality can't have Sammy on the show it's not professional enough I don't really care this is the way the show is going to be right now it's me I'm in my kitchen we keep it real we keep it real to level 10 which is this level of being legit and my fans and everyone in the audience knows that when they get this show it's going to it's going to be legit. It's going to be real. It's going to be straight from the heart. And we're going to tackle some of the controversial issues. And I'm going to give it to you straight. Going to be a straight shooter. And Sam, right, he's my buddy. He gets some snuggles in the evening. And we do the show that way. I guess if the show somehow we get, we, we get to a certain level, and I guess we won't be able to have Sammy on. You're good. You're with us. We're together. All right. Tonight, guys, we've got a really big show. I think it's an exciting show. We're going to talk about parenting, parenting in tennis, parents in tennis, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I don't know. It could be a disaster show. I don't know. It could be controversial. I don't know. I hope it doesn't too many feathers. Stop clicking so much. Stop it. It's annoying. Stop with the clicking sound. Hold on. Give me this. All right. You're good. Let me take that off. Clicking too much. Sorry, guys. Sammy's making a lot of noise. I see some old friends tuning in. What's up, amigos? And we'll see if we get some new viewers on tonight. The show has been blowing up a lot. Uh, especially the podcast. I know you guys are loving the podcast. I have all the stats. Thank you very much for supporting the show. We're getting a lot of emails, uh, contributions, and and uh, a lot of congratulations and encouragement via email. I appreciate that, guys. And uh, as always, we, we appreciate you sharing the show. Please share now if you can. You can share the live feed if you're on Facebook, and you can always... Uh, Tune in and ask any questions that you like. I'm always available to answer questions. We have a few questions from the mailbox. It's our famous, it's not famous, it's our new and always improving mailbox segment coming up later. We've got a few good questions in the mailbox. 
uh, questions from some of my students around the world, my online students, so we'll be including that. And one question from a real world whom I coach here in New York, so that should be good. I'll try. He, I promised one of my students that I would answer his question tonight, so we'll do that a little bit later. But let's get into talking about parents. And the first thing that I want to say about parents, and I know that a lot of parents watch this show because it is a junior and the show with parents and coaches, but especially parents. So if you are a parent watching this show, I would like you to know a dirty little secret in the junior tennis community is that you are not welcome. And I'm really sorry to say that, and I'm sorry to let the cat out of the bag, but coaches don't like parents. Tennis coaches do not like parents. I don't know if it's like that in every other sport, but in junior tennis, a terrible bias against parents, and parents are vilified. That's the word that I'd like to use. Parents are vilified by tennis coaches when parents aren't around to hear what the coaches are saying. So I, I'm not afraid to say it. I don't believe it, and I want to try to talk about why I think parents are so critical to the development of champions, usually, not always, but they oftentimes play an important role. And I certainly think that parents are a valuable asset to the team, the junior development team. And I take great offense when I hear coaches talking in a derogatory way about parents. And let me tell you, there is a lot of derogatory talk about parents in junior tennis coaching circles. So much so that I, I can't believe it sometimes. I can remember being at conferences, being at workshops where coaches are free to discuss their opinions and be candid. And I think you would all be shocked as well, unless you're one of those coaches watching uh, at the way that coaches, when they have their guard down, what they actually, how, how they actually talk about parents. And a lot of the coaches are not even parents themselves. And that's, I guess, not surprising. They're completely out of touch. They don't understand what it's like to raise children. They don't have children. And they just see parents as a nuisance, as an interference, as a problem. They see parents in a very negative way, and I think that's a shame. I think it's wrong, mostly wrong. Now, sometimes there are parents who are a disaster, and it's a train wreck, and you're you're on your tied tracks, and the train's coming for you. There are some parents where. They're just impossible, they're overbearing, they're too demanding, and they're unreasonable. And if you're parents, if you're way off the bell curve somewhere, and you're uh, very, very problematic, you know, that's a different story. But what I'm talking about are the majority of parents who know their child best and want for their child, they're very passionate about their child's development and they're big supporters of their children 
And those parents need to be brought onto the team and they need to be brought into the process and not shunned and certainly not vilified and not, not made to be a pariah, a persona non grata. And parents are so often labeled as such by tennis coaches, oftentimes who don't even have kids, don't have a family, have no clue what it's like to raise children, what it's like uh, throughout the lifespan, raising a child through, through the lifespan of development, maybe don't even understand childhood development, and Sorry for that, guys. We're back, and we have a much better connection. I was getting a little nervous there. So, go. Go sit down. I can't take it. No, you peed on the couch before. Go. Go sit down. No, I'm not doing it. No, I won't do it. Sorry, guys. All right, so what were we talking about? Parents. So, why, why do parents get a bad rap in tennis? Probably because the bad ones... Hold on. I'm going to let Sam out. He's driving me nuts. Go. Just go. Go. If you pee on it, I'm going to be really upset. My goodness. Get in there. Get in there. Get on the couch. He's an animal. He's a wild animal, this guy. That's Sammy the Academy Dog. If you ever our summer camp, our high-performance camp in the mountains, meet Sammy personally. Parents. Parents I think the bad ones, the really bad ones, the abusive parents, the nightmare parents, they, they've given everyone a bad name. And I, what it is about tennis parents in particular, I don't know if we have the worst parents compared to other sports. What do you guys think? I see a lot of waves and a lot of people. Are, do we have worse parents than other sports? Do we have the worst parents of all? That's an interesting question. I don't know. From my understanding, it, parents are some of the first hear from coaches and parents and you know people I talk to from other sports. But I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is my world, my little junior development world, where I, I try to find parents who I can work with. You know, maybe I I, I select them uh, to a certain extent. If a parent's a little too cray cray, I get don't work with the kids which is sometimes a shame. Usually the kids are, are sweet and, and the parents, if they're very, very difficult, they, they, you have to do your best to, to manage them and, and work with them. But typically the parents of the kids that I have are, are, are said to me. And, and that's kind of what I'd like to talk about. Maybe I'll come at it from that angle first. The parents should be seen as an asset. Parents should be seen as the linchpin in development for, in most cases. Now, there's going to be some parents who don't care that much or they don't want to be involved in the process that much, and those parents will sort of drop their kid off for a lesson. 
it. And, and you're left to be uh, on your own and, and to develop the... I find that the, the kids who are on, uh, most successful, typically, they have a parent driving them in the background. They have a very strong, demanding parent. I work with many families who, who have probably what you, you, you would call them tiger parents. Um, you know, I don't know if you read that book by Amy, I believe it's Amy Shua, uh, uh, talking about parents, demanding parents who are, are who kids very hard. I find that a lot of the tennis parents in the, in, in the business are, are, are like that. In my, in my sort of niche where I high-performance kids who are trying to uh, make nationals and play top college or they want to play professional push the kid to be a great player they're going to help me in, and they're, they're usually going to be very organized and they're u usually going to be super motivated to help me, uh, to help me help the player. That's just playing a critical role in the in the development team. I believe in that team approach where you have the coach, you have maybe a physical trainer, you have the parent. Obviously, you have the the kid on the on the team, and you maybe have a doctor to to look into injuries and things like that. You might have a sports psychologist. We'll maybe talk about that later. Because one of, one of the questions in the mailbox is about sports psychology. But you may have different uh, people on your high away from the kid or possibly the parent in terms of child wel welfare, but I'm not talking about those extreme cases. The majority of parents who just want to do good for their kid, they want their kid to be successful, and in my niche, the parents who are very demanding and they expect the best from you and they expect the high performance from their player, those I'm telling you guys, if you're a coach watching, Harness those parents. Don't push those parents away. Those parents are your greatest asset. They are not a liability. And unfortunately, because for some reason or another in the tennis culture, especially in, in junior development circles, parents have become persona non grata. They become pariahs. They're oftentimes pushed away. And I think in the end, it usually hurts the player's development and for less efficient development, less successful development. So that, that's the main 
thrusts is that if you're a coach, consider working alongside the parent, bring the parent into the team, into the high-performance team, and harness their tremendous passion and drive to make their kids successful and, and utilize the parent as an asset to that. It's funny, I have a story. I was at a high performance workshop. I wanted to relay this story to you guys. And we were, it's, it's kind of a funny story, but it, I, I'm going to say what it was. It was a PTR uh, high performance training. And it, it, at the end of the work, I actually left the workshop. I thought it was and I actually left mid-workshop. It was very rare. I, I very rarely do that. It was, it was a high performance. And I was very unhappy with the quality of the, of the workshop, to be honest. It was a PTR workshop. No offense to PTR. But it's very rare that I do that. But I was very disappointed in the training. But halfway through the training, we did these on-court assessments. And we had some of the peers, other coaches, sort of, uh, we did uh, a debrief at the end of these assessments. We did a mini lab with the parent to try to get some info, and 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 you know where they had where they had come from. where I always try to engage the parents and I'm always including parents in what we're working on. So the first time that I learned that, and I will tell you this, the, the guy who I think is the leader possibly in the world at bringing parents into the process is Rick Macy. And I, I spent a week down in Florida with him when I was a young coach. This is many years ago, actually. And it was a very influential week for me. I, I learned a lot about his approach to training kids and he let me right on the court. It was amazing. He was very gracious to me and I spent a, a full week with him just watching all his lessons and, and maybe more importantly watching the way he interacted with parents. So for the first time I saw a coach who actually let parents onto the court that he let parents sit close by. He, he, he spoke with parents during water breaks. Rick Macy asked the parents, you know, what they've been working on with the kid, how they saw the development process for their child. He, he, he would constantly embrace parents and bring them into the process. And I, I just thought it was so unique and cool at the time because as a young coach, I had always been taught by my mentor, Gilad Bloom, who I have great respect for, who is one of the top coaches here in the Northeast, is uh, a great uh, technical coach, and and as you guys know, you guys who've been following the show for a long time, Gilad was a had a tremendous influence on my coaching career and the trajectory of my coaching career. And when I studied with Gilad, it was basically get the parents out, keep the parents away. Parents are they undermine the coaching process. Parents are the problem. They're not the solution. And when I went down to, to, to Rick's Academy and spent time with him 
for the first time I saw a coach who didn't believe that. I saw a coach who felt that parents were the solution, that parents were an asset, that parents offered a lot of valuable information to the coach, that you, you wanted to mine that information. You wanted to utilize the parents for, for their knowledge. And it was the first time it really got me thinking. And, and when I came back to New York and, and started you know, building my own academy and my own, my own private lesson business, I really started to model my approach in the same way that Rick did in terms of dealing with parents. And I think that's very unique. I think the way Rick does it is very unique. I remember going there and seeing parents on the court picking up balls. I've never seen that before. Gilad, I don't think he ever allowed something like that. Or, or, you know, I know many coaches who don't allow parents to pick up balls, which I think is crazy. You know, I have many online debates about that where coaches say, oh, you know, the kids need to build their own responsibility or, or they, we don't want the parents interfering or... Now, I can go into, a, I think a lot of coaches uh, have that philosophy where they want to keep the parents away, even for simple things like that, where you could save time and, and have a much better, a more efficient lesson if the parents are picking up. Uh, that's what I do. Most of my parents will pick up, so we don't waste any time. It seems like common sense to me, but for many coaches out there, they, they, they really don't, they really object to that. They object to having the parents around. Many coaches don't really know how to talk to parents. They, they spend so many years sort of with blinders on, uh, with uh, hands over their ears, na-na-na-boo-boo, boo, like, you know, na-na, I don't want to hear what the parent says, keep the parent away, parents are crazy, parents are a problem, parents are, are uh, going to interfere with my work. You know, so many coaches think that way that they, they've lost the, the ability to communicate and they, they don't know how to mine the parent for valuable uh, information. So, one of the things that drives me crazy at, uh, with coaches, at conferences, at workshops, I hear a lot of coaches say, and, and this, is, this you've probably heard this, that, you know, parents aren't the professionals. We are the professionals. We are, we are the, the experts. And so, therefore, parents should get the hell out of there. You know, they shouldn't be involved because we're, we're the coaches and, and we are like uh, the doctor, and no one would tell the, no one would, ha- would have the gall to go into the doctor's office and tell the doctor, um, you know, how to diagnose this or what, what uh, uh, surgery, t- how to do this surgery or, or, you know, what medication to prescribe. And so I-, I love it when tennis coaches who oftentimes have a weekend certification and no college degree start ta- getting on their high horse and condescending to parents who have maybe a, a, a PhD or an MBA or a JD or some advanced degree or, or they've been extremely successful in life and business or, or whatever their career is. I, I love how uh, a, a tennis coach who's got a weekend certification, sometimes that, that's all they got, and they're going to start talking smack and talking down to very well-educated, successful, and very intelligent parents uh, who, who are just, you know, passionate and trying to help their kid. That, that one's a real, that's hilarious. And I don't know if, if parents have experienced that, but I've seen the sort of the underbelly of it, the, the dark side of it, 
coming from a coach's perspective at, at coaching events where coaches are a little more candid with each other and they're sharing their more, uh, more, they're sharing their thoughts and feelings more in earnest. And I, I, it, it's unbelievable the way uh, the coaching culture is. I, and I don't know if that's only in tennis. I think it's probably in other sports too. But I, as I said, I, I th- I've heard from, from folks that they think tennis parents are the worst and therefore maybe that is a, uh, maybe there's some very, uh, cr- there have been historically some very crazy parents who have been abusive and problematic. You have some famous stories about that, uh, whether with professional players or junior players, and, and maybe they've, they, they, it's caused a, a reaction, a, a very bad reaction in our, in our junior uh, tennis community and in, in the coaching community. But unfortunately, be- that, that, that uh, perspective on parents is so pervasive now that I'm not sure, I'm sure it's hard to find a coach who is, who, who will embrace a parent who just, just wants to help. And I think that's a shame. I think coaches should really reevaluate their philosophy, their, their, their position on this issue, and they should try to bring parents more into the process. And like I said, the way, the way Rick Macy does it is, is amazing. And he's been quite successful with a number of prodigies and uh, obviously many top junior players and professionals. I just, I just love his approach. And I've tried to model my, my work here in New York on, that, uh, on developing those types of important bonds and relationships with parents. And so I, I feel that the way that Rick does it is, is uh, unique and, and should be a model for others with some caveats. You have to be careful about the parents who are abusive, whether emotionally or physically abusive. Obviously, you have to look out for the welfare of a child. And you have to be able to have some guidelines for yourself, some, some limits of how, how crazy you're, you're willing to work with. You know, I think that, that I've worked with a lot, of, a lot of crazy parents, a lot of very, very difficult parents. Here in New York, I think the parents are incredibly tough. And like they say, if you can make it here in New York, you can make it anywhere. I think I have, I think I can fairly say that I've, de- I've dealt with the most difficult and demanding parents anywhere on the planet. I, can, I think I can say that confidently here in New York City. And it hasn't been a big issue for me. Have there been a few families over the years where I said, you know, a few players where I said, you know, I can't work with you. Uh, I've told some parents, you know, it's not going to work out. I've I've demurred and not worked with a few kids because of their parents, probably. But by and large, I I work with almost all of the parents, whether they're the really easygoing ones or the incredibly demanding tiger parents. And I've had successful relationships with all of them. And I just think it's a matter of developing your communication skills as a coach and and having an open mind and being and being and embracing these people who are oftentimes the most passionate expert people who who know their child better than anyone. So we have a a little, I think we have a question on the first question of the night from my buddy, my online buddy, Kiran Kumar. What's up, buddy? How are you? Thanks for joining in to the program. Kiran says, I have to step out, but I will come back and watch the recording. Thanks. He says, good show. All right, thank you, Kiran. I'm just going to keep rapping then if you don't have a question, mi amigo. I see a lot of old friends on the program. Guys, thanks for tuning in. It's a big show on parenting. If you have any questions about parenting, 
If you'd like to join in the discussion, of course, you're welcome to. I know many of you like to just listen to me rap. I had one viewer tell me that you've got to be a hardcore fan to like my show because the video is just my face and the show is long, like an hour. Sometimes we go an hour and a half. And I thought to myself, yeah, yeah, we're, we have a hardcore audience. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being a hardcore audience. Thank you for supporting this unique broadcast. And we're just going to keep it real and legit. I don't know where the show is going to go. But, you know, I'm going to keep doing it, keep sharing my opinions and my perspective on junior tennis. And there, I know that there's not a lot of good information out there. There's very few podcasts and I don't think there is a good junior development podcast right now from a, from a really good coach who's giving you the inside information from the trenches. You know, that's kind of what we're doing here. And I don't know anyone else who's doing that. So, yeah, you guys are my hardcore audience. Thank you so much for supporting the program. And thank you for all the waves. And thank you for watching. Thank you for sharing with your friends and your amigos. So... Should we talk a little more about parents? Should we talk about character building, what parents can do to build character in their kids? I've been studying a lot with Tony Nadal. I'm, t I'm going through his online course for the second time. And guys, I am unbelievably blown away by this course, these courses, multiple courses. I have three of his courses right now. I really think they're amazing. I don't know if other people will find them amazing. I think for me... Coming from my background, traveling in Spain for so many years now, writing the book on Spanish tennis, spending many years with Luis Bruguera, studying with Pato Alvarez, it, with, with those guys, the, the Tony Nadal course is opening up my mind, blowing my mind away because of the, inter, the interconnections that I'm seeing between the philosophy of Tony Nadal and Luis Bruguera, for example, the comparison and, contra and contrast between Pato Alvarez's method and Tony Nadal, and just seeing the way that Tony, who's from a slightly different era than Luis Bruguera, he's a little younger than Luis, uh, he's a little younger than Pato, Luis Bruguera's a, a little younger than Pato, and sort of, for me, this course is trans transformational. And maybe because of my background in Spain, but I'm getting so much out of this, this training with Tony. I'm, I'm getting the certification with the Tony Nadal method right now. And I think for most people, they just watch some videos of Tony coaching. They're like, yeah, uh, Tony Nadal, that's his thing. He's doing this. He's doing that. And they don't really take it that seriously. I am studying this course like I'm back at Cornell. I'm studying these courses like I'm... I'm at Harvard or, or Columbia. I studied at Harvard and Columbia. I went to Cornell. I'm studying these, these courses like I was back in college. And they're having a huge impact on my view of Spanish tennis and the evolution of Spanish tennis. And particularly about uh, training character and building character. Tony Nadal, in my opinion, is an absolute genius on developing character. He has a course called the Mentor Course which is for parents. He actually designed it for parents. And there's a lot of amazing information there. I, I, I kind of want to go into it a little bit just to share because I'm, I'm taking the course online every day. I'm a little bit trapped at home right now because we have a new baby. So I'm going a little crazy at home and, I, and I'm, I'm studying with Tony. I feel like I'm in Mallorca, but I'm not. I'm, I'm at home with my, my, little, my little girl, Ocean. We have a new baby, Ocean, baby O. Uh, very exciting. My fourth kid 
guys, number four, and, and because I can't leave, I can't travel because I have a baby and I, I'm stay-at-home, kind of a stay-at-home dad during the week. I'm really big family guy, you know, I, 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 I'm enjoying these online classes and I'm getting this, this mind meld with Uncle Tony and I'm, I'm, I'm finding the course extremely inform, uh, informative and very, very much in the depth and the breadth of the course is incredible. Uh, 36 classes per course. I, I have three courses dialed up right now and, and, I'm, and there's uh, up to 36 classes in each course. There's a lot of material to cover, almost an overwhelming amount. And I'm working through it slowly. Actually, the second time I'm working through it, it's just blowing me away. It's, I think it's going to have a huge impact on my, on my coaching and especially the way I want to build character in kids. So as I was saying, he's got this mentor course where each class he shares some consejos, some, some tips, you know, some advice for, for parents. And it's just wisdom. It's just like a fountain of wisdom in every class and Tony is like this philosopher, genius coach from, from, from Mallorca, from, from Catalonia. And it's just unbe- it's incredible. It's unbelievable the way that he developed Raphael's uh, character, the way that he develops values in all his players and what they do at the academy there. So maybe I'll share a little bit of that with you guys because I mean, I'm thinking about writing a book on building character right now partly from the influence of Tony and partly from my own perspective on raising my kids and seeing, you know, as a tennis coach, we see, if you're a junior coach, you get to see hundreds and hundreds of different kids and you see the different parenting styles. And I think I've been witness to that. And I think it will make for a very interesting book on how to build character in young, in young kids and children, basically, based on my perspective. I'm a very uh, uh, keen observer of behavior and, and I've, I've observed many, many different styles of parenting and, and the influence that it's had over the lifespan of children. And I think that gives me a unique, a unique perspective, especially working with children from the ages of, you know, five or six to 14, up to 18. I've, I've been able to, to observe children and, and different parenting styles throughout that entire journey from young childhood when, it, when a kid's in, in preschool or or elementary school all the way through high school and into college. So I think that's relatively uh, unique uh, because many teachers or coaches focus on, on only one, one type of uh, player in, in one age division. And I'm able to work with that whole, that whole arc of development. It's given me a, a unique perspective. I also worked with many different types of parenting styles. Like I mentioned, you have, the sort of the laid, you have some laid back parents who sort of let you do your own thing and then you and then you have the the tiger parents who are on it and they're they're pushing real hard and and I've just seen a lot of different styles and sometimes if you got the wrong parenting style for the wrong kid it's a disaster it can really be a problem and and so you got to know how the 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 parenting style matches up for the individual the way the kid learns and the way the kid's wired and that's what I what I want to write about that's what I kind of like to talk about a little bit in terms of, of, especially in terms of building character. Maybe we can get to that. I see some questions on the board, guys. So let me, let me see if I can get to these questions. It's a busy night here. Thank you for your comments and thank you for tuning in. Charles Sai 
says, yikes, do those coaches also despise their students too? Okay, let's get to that one. So, no, those coaches are usually, they have big egos and they're narrow-minded and they see, they love the students typically. I don't think they're hateful of the students at all. They hate the parents. A lot of times it starts in, I don't know if it comes from, their mentors, because uh, I know a lot of old school coach, old school coaches are, are anti-parent, but I think also many of the training workshops and the certification courses, they're also, they also can lean anti-parent. So Charles, thank you for the, the comment and the question. Charles is one of uh, a parent that, Charles, you know, you know, you've worked with me here in, uh, in, uh, in Vermont. You've come to the camp. Charles, I think Charles from Texas. And I, I think that most of those coaches care a lot about their students. They just have a, a, a bias and really, a, um, I don't want to say a, a hatred of parents, but, but a very negative, cynical, uh, very critical I don't want to say cynical, maybe cynical view of uh, a negative view of parents where, where they're, they're, they're taught. I think a lot of coaches are trained that way in some of the certification classes. They're taught to be on the lookout for parents. There's a major push in coaching, in junior coaching. I've been to many workshops. So on the coaching side, for you parents that are listening in, here's the, here's the down low. There's a, there's a, there's a movement in junior coaching where we're supposed to educate you guys, quote unquote. So that's in a lot of the certification classes, Charles. And I see Vanessa's also tuning in with a question. Vanessa, I'll get to your question in a minute. So there's this idea that we are smarter than you, the parent, us, the coaches, some of us who've never even had children. I got four kids, so I'm a parent and a coach, which I think gives me a good perspective. But many coaches do not even have children. They might not have girls or they might not have boys. So that's another thing too, of whether you're coaching or raising or parenting a girl or a boy. That's a, that, that, there's a big difference a lot of times uh, in the way you want to approach the, the individual. The, the gender can have a, a um, can affect the way you want to parent sometimes. Uh, and of course, other things like the learning style and the way the kid, the personality of the kid. So, but uh, there, there's a whole movement and a push towards educating the parents where the parents are stupid. The, the implication is, the, the inference is, or even the, the, the direct message to coaches is that parents are, are stupid. Parents are naive. Parents are meddling. It's a good word for it. Parents are meddling. You know, they meddle. They interfere. They undermine the coach's work. And so I think many times young coaches who are learning and coming up through coaching development courses are trained to, to have this negative outlook on parents. They're, they're, they're taught to see parents as, as a, a problem coming their way and the, the, parents as, or the parent as someone who, who they need to manage. And, and coaches do need to manage. They need to manage the relationship with parents, but, but manage in the sense that they have to, to educate the stupid parent, you know, the parent who doesn't know anything about tennis but thinks they do and it's going to get all up in your business as a coach. And, and you're the professional, quote-unquote. You're the expert and the parents 
are not, and that they should just accept what you say as, you know, coming straight from the, from the, you know, the Ten Commandments there. Whatever you say is basically the biblical uh, pronouncement. And it's just not true. What I said, I, I wrote an es- a short essay about this recently, and I posted it online, and I said that many times parents are more insight. I've had parents give me more insight into players and player development than maybe I've ever learned at coaching courses. And many times parents who are from an- another discipline, who are very successful and very well educated, they have a very unique perspective on a, their kid, they know their kid better than you, but B, just coaching in general. So coaches are oftentimes trapped. They're inframed, as the philosopher Heidegger used, used to say, you, you could get inframed in your worldview. And coaches are inframed in, in their little tennis bubble where, where they think they always know everything and they're the, they're the expert, quote-unquote, and the parent couldn't possibly know more or have the insight because they're outside of, of our bubble. And, and what I found is actually the opposite. Yes, there are some parents who are, let's say, stupid. Some parents don't know what they're talking about. But more often than not, I, I, maybe because, again, where I work, I work in, in the New York City area here with many successful, high-performance people, high-performance families, parents who are very, very uh, successful in life and in their careers. The people that I associate with in my world are winners, and they have, they're creative, and they're highly intelligent. They have very high IQs, and I've learned tremendous amounts from Parents who are business leaders, maybe they have a, a, a background in, in quantitative analysis, and that's something that I, I, I'm, that's not a strength of mine. So I remember I had a parent who was a very successful business person. He was uh, uh, doing a lot of quantitative analysis of his son, and he was uh, making spreadsheets and things like that. That's never something that I, that's probably not something that I would, a perspective that I would take, but I learned a lot from him. And I've had parents who are many parents who are doctors or scientists, medical professionals who gave me a lot of insight into injury and injury, injuries and injury prevention and, and uh, training modalities for their kid and, and things like that. Parents who are lawyers or, or just they might be creative, cre- creative uh, thinkers in their individual fields, whatever fields they are, they often look at they're looking at tennis and junior development from a very different perspective through a different lens than, than we are because we're sort of inframed in the coaching world. And so I, I found that I've learned a tremendous amount from those folks over the years. Be, but I had to open my mind to it. I had to listen to them. Instead, what most coaches do is they're so narrow-minded. They're so biased that they, they actually, if a parent starts talking to them, they're sort of trained to tune them out. And they're sort of trained to say, oh, yeah, whatever. They, they probably won't say that to you because they want your business. But many, many coaches in the industry, they, they actually, underneath it all, that's what they think. When you're talking to them, they're thinking, this is a bunch of bullshit that I have to talk to you right now. Many coaches think that. I've just, I've just got to call it the way it is. When you start talking to them and they're like, this is bullshit. I can't believe I have to talk to this parent. This parent is, knows nothing about tennis and they're trying to tell me how to do my job. And that attitude is, sucks. That attitude from coaches needs to change 
And that's part of the reason why I wrote that essay. And I guess that's one of the driving factors uh, to, to do the show to, tonight, the show about parents, because I, if there are coaches watching, I just wanted to sort of relay to you guys that that, that attitude sucks and it's actually going to hinder your player's development and it's going to undermine the, 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 the rate that you develop your players it's, and it will, it will actually hurt most of the, the, the kids that you work with. You got to have a more healthy approach to parents. You got to work with them, listen to them, and open your mind because many of them are going to see things that you cannot see because you're stuck in the tennis world and you're seeing everything through the junior coach's lens, lens and your, your your training and background and things like that. You can learn from these people, and these people know their kids better than anyone. They know their kid generally a lot better than you. Are there exceptions? Of course. Sometimes a parent is for some reason, out of the loop or clueless. And some, uh, there are occasional parents who are cray-cray and uh, abusive and, and, and just way, way too uh, demanding and harsh with their kids. And, but, but in my experience, those are the minority. And most parents you can work with, most parents you can learn from, most parents ha- have an incredible wealth of knowledge about their kids. And most coaches couldn't care less. They, clo- they cover their ears they close their eyes, they stick their head in the sand and say, no, I'm the pro, I have my weekend certification course, let me do my job and stay out, stay out of the way. And a lot of times parents get that, probably some of you parents listening have gotten that message, get out, get out of my way, get out of my business, I'm the expert, you go away, don't interfere. And I just think that's a shitty way to develop kids For mo- in most situations that that is a a very poor way to develop a high-performance player. And the way that I've always done it since, since um, I don't know, 10, 15 years now, since I spent uh, uh, a week with Rick Macy, uh, and, and, it was, it was, uh, and, and I've, you know, of course, studied with Rick more in, in, in past years, but it was, it was going back all the way to that first week that I spent with Rick many, many years ago, and I was a very young coach. And... That transformed the way that I, I began to think about how I, I should work with parents. And, and it, it taught me to be more open-minded and not to just shut parents down. You got to listen to parents, listen to what they say. Even if it doesn't, sound like, it doesn't sound like the right answer at first, sometimes they may have an insight that, we, that we're not seeing. And you, you got to open up those lines of communication with parents. And so many coaches are not even interested. They have no interest in doing that, no inclination in doing that. And, and they're not going to put any energy into that relationship. The coach-parent communication, the coach-parent relationship is vital to the health and development of the player. All right, we have a number of comments on the board. I'll try to get to them now. I don't know if I'm going to get to talking about character. Guys, I'm so pumped up to talk about Tony Nadal and his insights into character building and how parents can build character better. I was sort of going to touch on what are some of the best practices for parents, but then I was thinking about it, and it's a bunch of generic garbage. You read these articles on how parents should act how parents should behave, you know, what are the best practices for parents regarding their student. It, it's completely individual to the player. Every player is different. With some players, the parent may be best to just play a supporting role and be positive. And with some players, it may be, best, it may be much better to have a really tough parent 
who's demanding, who's getting in there, who's motivating the kid, pushing the kid hard. You know, in many instances, that is better. It's better to have the parent allied with you as the coach doing that than to shut the parent out. So it's just impossible to make generic recommendations to you guys if you're a parent, if you're a parent who's watching or listening. I don't know if that's where I want the show to go. I'm happy to answer individual questions and because every answer is based on the individual, you know, what is right for the kid. Because every kid is different, different gender, different personality, different learning style. And that is what you have to assess, whether, whether you're a parent or a coach on the team. You have to assess both of those things and work together to craft the best approach for that individual player. Player-centered coaching, player-centered parenting, right? Both of those together. All right, let's see what we got here. A lot of comments. Uh, let's see. Carolina Pristoka. Sorry if I mispronounced that. She says, congratulations, Chris. This is Steve. Oh, this is Steve Pristoka. Steve, I guess you're on your, your wife's account. No problem. I don't have Facebook, so I'm using my wife's account. There you go. This is not a parent question. But here it goes. How do you start teaching footwork to young children? Do you just do drills and hope they'll pick up good footwork as they grow? What's your approach philosophy? Thank you, amigo. You came to the right place for footwork training. I love that. I do a lot of that. You need to train footwork in young children. I'm assuming you're talking about children under 10. Young children for me is probably between the age of 5 and 10. And there's a, I have a whole method for that. It's very simple. We actually did an online course about it, so I don't mean to just promote my course, but the course is dirt cheap. It's like 39 bucks, and it goes through my entire method. It's called Flow, hashtag Flow. So if you really want to know the step-by-step method that I use over and above what I can tell you on the show here, I would recommend that course, hashtag Flow. You can get it at clta.teachable.com, which is our online school clta.teachable.com. That's a very popular course, by the way. And I have many parents using that course to train their kids. I have many coaches using that course to introduce footwork to their players systematically. So basically, you have some fundamental elements like uh, bouncy feet. I call it the big five. You have bouncy feet, split step. See if I can get them all. Side shuffle. So those are the first three that I work on. You have to train it in kids. Most kids do not have natural footwork. Bouncy feet, good split step, a good technical split step. You have to teach the split step correctly. And then a good technical side shuffle on the recovery. Those are the first three that I usually introduce to young children. And we train those religiously. We train those over and over again to get the muscle memory right. The technique of footwork for most kids They need to be brainwashed and they need to be taught very repetitively in order to master footwork at a young age. When you see a kid at seven or eight who has world-class footwork, it's almost never an accident. Occasionally, you get this really talented kid who, who is just fluid and agile and can do it all and you don't have to teach him that much. But for most kids, you have to train it into the lower body. You have to train it into the feet very systematically when the kid is young. And then by the time they're seven, eight, or nine, they have it for life and they never have to worry about good footwork 
technique ever again. Unfortunately, most kids do not get that footwork training when they're young because most clubs don't train footwork. Most club methods, systems are a joke when it comes to footwork. Most clubs, at least in the U.S., are teaching the hands. They don't teach the feet. They focus on the hands. The main reason why is because to teach footwork to kids is you have to be very demanding. You have to be very precise. And you're going to lose some business. You, the kids are not going to like it. You know, I think I sound sounding a little bit like Robert Lansdorp. I've been watching some videos of Robert Lansdorp. You know, the kids aren't going to like that. So you, you got, you're going to have to push hard. And to, to work footwork is tiring and it's kind of annoying for young kids. So most clubs have, have given up on that. You know, they just say, hey, move your feet, whatever. Ready position, move your feet. Ready position, by the way, is a joke. I'm writing an article about that. Ready position where you just slam, you just plant your feet in the ground. That's not ready position. You should teach kids to balance in a in a uh, energetic an energetic ready ready feet. Anyway, most coaches and clubs don't teach footwork. The main reason is not that they don't know how. They may not know how, but the main reason is because kids don't like it and they don't want to lose business and they have a lot of pressure from the hierarchy there you know the, the the senior pros and the the director or assistant director or whatever they you know the the, the kids are going to complain if one of the coaches is teaching footwork they're not going to like that they're going to want to go play uh fruit salad and around the world or whatever other you know crap uh, crappy games they're they're playing over there uh that are fun quote unquote quote fun but aren't really fundamental anyway so the fourth and fifth one are i teach a a rapid adjustment step, so uh, adjustment steps, and the fifth one is the crossover recovery step. So there you go. Those are the big five. I cover those in detail in my course, and there's a few other important movements that you want to teach the young kids. Defensive flow, uh, forward transition. There's a few footwork elements there. I, I break it down really simply, and I try not to make footwork too complicated. So I have a very efficient and simple method with skills that kids need to learn at a, at, at a young age and you got to hit them hard with that and be very demanding and precise with the technique you have to know what to look for when you're working on the the footwork with young kids because in my experience a lot of coaches might say oh split step or oh uh crossover recovery but they're doing it really poorly and so the kids are developing bad habits the whole goal is to get a kid by 10 more or less with perfect, beautiful, flowing footwork, moving like Federer, and then it's baked in, it's done, you never have to work on it again, and it's just there for life, and then the player, it's beautiful for the player because they're, they're moving efficiently, their decision making is better, because when you have better footwork and movement, you, you're not as rushed, you make better decisions, and they're able to get to more balls and be more consistent, and they're able to focus on their, their swing perfecting their swing and perfect, uh, perfecting shot selection. Not, not to, they don't have to worry about their movement, which is uh, such a blessing for a kid as they get older. Because when you have a kid who's 10 or 12 or 14, God forbid, or, or a teenager, 15, uh, you know, a, a high school teenager, uh, 15, 16, who hasn't been taught to move, now they have, when those kids come to me, it's a disaster. And you have to re remediate and, and do remedial work with those kids and, and teach them things that they should have learned when they were like seven or eight or nine. And you have to work on it for them when they're older. In my experience, most casual players, 
Uh, most competitive high school players, any kid who hasn't had serious high performance training, usually has very poor footwork mechanics. And it all goes back to the red, orange, green. It all goes back to the U10 training where there wasn't a coach who put his or her foot down and said, no, you're going to do this. You're going to do these steps like this and you're going to be disciplined. You're not going to be lazy, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It, it takes a coach like that. You know, you can try, you can make it fun, but it has to be intense and the kids have to be engaged and they have to be disciplined and they have to suffer a little. Let's be honest. To learn footwork at a young age, you have to, you have, to have a kid who's willing to suffer a little bit. If the kid's not willing to suffer, they're never going to move their feet well. So, you know, you hit on a good topic. Thank you so much, Steve. I hope that helped. There are specific drills that you should do, and most kids do not develop footwork intuitively. If, on the flip side, if you do happen to have one of those gifted kids, I always say this to coaches who come and train with me or to parents. If you have a kid who's got all the moves and they're fluid, they're beautiful, don't train footwork with them. It's a big waste of time. So what a huge waste to do like the Bailey method with a kid who's already got all the fluid movements. You know, you could spend years just wasting time learning footwork skills that you don't need to learn. So that's the flip side. On one side, most kids need it. On the other side, don't waste your time. If a kid's got all the skills, don't, don't, don't waste development time. You know how I always talk about that. Got people who've been listening to the show know how I'm all about accelerating development, getting development going as fast as possible to the goal. And sometimes footwork training, if done incorrectly, if done too, in a too complex a way, can be a huge drag on the rate of development. Let's see. Vanessa says, Vanessa Rago is a great super mom of two students that I work with. They're from Las Vegas. Vegas, baby. What do we got? What do we got here? Vegas. Hey, Chris, thanks for sticking up for us parents. You got it. I'm a parent too, you know. Lucas wants to watch some instructional videos on serving. What's the best way to search for your videos? Is there a platform online to buy your instructional videos? Okay, I did not set up Vanessa to do this to sell my videos, but of course you can buy my my classes, we have a bunch of good classes at CLTA, Chris Lewitt Tennis Academy, clta.teachable.com. Teachable is the online learning platform. So clta.teachable.com. That's where my online school is. We've got some good video courses there. Do we have a serving course there up right now? I don't think we do. You can search my YouTube channel. We have a number of, we have some good stuff on the YouTube channel. I have a very good free video on the YouTube channel. It, we did a, a live show from the Summer Academy where I was doing a serve, kind of a serve, I don't want to say clinic, but we did a whole afternoon of serving. So we did a whole live show on it and we filmed it and it, it's free on YouTube right now. So if you go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash Chris Lewitt or just search Chris Lewitt YouTube. <clears throat> and that'll come up. Uh, we have a number of good videos on, on there. You know, with, with you guys, Vanessa, you can just you know, email me or send me Lucas's videos and I can sort of mark them up or send back some notes for him to work on. It, I think the, that, that live serving show that we did from last summer is super popular. It's gotten a lot of views and I think it's a great resource and it's, it's free. It may not be free forever. We may be putting that behind a paywall soon, but right now I believe it's it's totally free on the YouTube channel, so check it out. I think it's called the Summer Serving Special. 
It's on uh, our YouTube channel. Check it out. Good, good program. Let's see. Lucas wants to watch instructional videos. Oh, one thing I was going to say about instructional videos is God, this is a, it's an unbelievable world we're living in, guys, where there's so much information now online. It's actually become difficult to get good information. So it used to be there was nothing. There was no online. When I was growing up, I had to order a special VHS video. You know, it took probably took two to four weeks to ship, you know, and, and I'd have to watch it on 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 uh, VHS, you know, on the TV just to watch some serving or to watch a slow-mo of a pro, maybe just one pro, you know, maybe like Sampras or or or, or Edberg or something. And, and now now in the span of gosh. 20, 20 years, or, or maybe a little more, we have a, a deluge, you know, a, a, a tidal wave, a flood of information now, so much information and so much free stuff on YouTube that it's, it's very hard to discern what is good and what is not. And so what I find now is almost, it's like coming full circle back to where Parents and players are not sure what to do because, yes, there's a lot of great stuff, but how do you separate the wheat from the chaff? And I find as an, as an expert, I, as an expert coach, and as someone who's been studying tennis for decades now, that I'm able to do it. I, I, it's, it's fascinating for me to click. I'm a, I'm a big I digest a lot of content online. I'm fascinated by the whole online coaching industry and the videos. And so I watch a lot of this content and I'm always trying to, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I watch a lot of content on YouTube and it's always, I'm always challenging myself to say, okay, does this person actually know what they're talking about? Is this a good video or is this uh, uh, very misleading or is this going to be impossible for the viewer to follow or or is this credible or not and sometimes I, I'm always able to figure it out it's a little game that I play but I can't imagine the average folk average folks just you know who, who are maybe not from the tennis world or they haven't had a lot of high performance training or biomechanics training or, or or what have you I can't imagine trying to sift through all these videos that are now popping up and that are available who do you trust whom do you trust one of the reasons why I do this show is that I think you can trust someone like me because I'm actually doing it every day. I'm not an online figurehead. I'm not an online bobblehead who's just making content. I never use that word content. I hate that word. I'm not just creating content. I'm a coach. I'm a real-world coach. I have real-world results. I have a credible philosophy. I have, I have a strong track record of developing top national-ranked players. Hopefully we'll get some of those kids on the tour soon. I'd like to have some pro champions in the next 10 years. You know, I, uh, so I, I think that I'm someone you can trust as an online personality. And hopefully more and more people will listen to me and, and will be influenced by me. That's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm producing videos and uh, we do this podcast and this show is is I, I'm trying to help people with the process of discernment, trying to uh, 
sift through this the, this complex information out there and trying to uh, keep people grounded so they don't get they don't follow a lot of uh, false false uh, trails you know they don't end up on the wrong pathway because that is a huge time waster and in the end it's harmful to the kids because the kids are what this is all about for me the kid has a dream the coach is supposed to be the steward of the dream the coach is supposed to to guide and shepherd the the, the child and in the end what happens is that there's a lot of bad information out there that parents are getting and that kids are getting that it's going to hurt the the kids it's going to affect the kid from achieving his or her dream and so that's sort of what at the end of the day that's what what the essence of what I'm doing is I'm just sort of trying to educate uh, parents, coaches, and any players who are watching the show and, and watching my videos and taking my courses and things like that so that fewer dreams are shattered. <laughs> is, that, is, that an, is that noble enough? Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm running a business. I'm trying to promote my, my coaching. I have people coming from all over now to train with me here in New York and in Vermont at our camp and things. So I, I'm running a business, but also the, the noble effort is to try to help uh, children because I love kids. You know, my, I've dedicated my life to training and, and developing children. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I love this, um, this influence of Tony Nadal. Tony Nadal's method for developing character, I think, can make a better world. If that doesn't sound too corny or too Pollyannish or naive. I really think that the way Tony, the way he's the, he's talking about developing athletes is can be applicable to children writ large and to, to just in general creating better, better citizens of the world. And I, I'm really excited to master his system, to master his method, and then I want to I want to deliver it. I want to deliver it to you guys. I want to deliver it to my students. I want to deliver it to to coaches. I want to make it better. Maybe stand on Tony's shoulders and make his method even better. Talking about how to develop character, and in the end, what you get is you, you're going to get better players, obviously. And that's one of the things Tony talks about. He talks about how character can help you become a better player. It's not just about being a good person. When you develop your character, you can become a better, you will be more successful in tennis, without a doubt. And he makes a very convincing case about why that is. We can maybe go into that if you guys have any questions about that. But I just think what Tony is offering is a method to develop better human beings, not just tennis, not just better tennis players. But in the end, the character that you develop makes you a better tennis player. So that's the, that's the sales pitch. And that's the sales pitch that Tony gives, and I'm just going to re-deliver that to you guys now. And I believe in that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid on that. I'm buying into that. Because in the end, we're going to get better citizens of the world, and we're going to get more successful tennis players with that method. So as parents, that should be something that you are highly interested in, in developing your player to have strong character, and of course, to be a great tennis player. Both together. They're not mutually exclusive. And in fact, having a stronger character will help your kid develop faster and, and ultimately become a better tennis player. Let's see, do we have any more questions on the board? I see Daryl Cummings is watching and waving. Daryl Cummings, big fan of the show. Thank you, amigo. Daryl 
is the one of the co-founders of UTR. And I really like your newsletters, buddy. Thanks for the newsletters. You got a very good insight on the, the industry and on industry trends. So I appreciate your newsletter. Keep, keep it up. I know it's not easy to put together all that stuff. Okay, Steve has another question. Steve says, soccer and track, for example, are very anti-parents. Very drill sergeant approach, but the kids are usually older, so parents don't interfere, especially when the kids are lazy teens. They expect coach to do the parenting for them and teach them discipline, disciplina. So I know track and cross country because my son is a competitive runner. Just finished top 32 in the regionals. I'm very proud of him for 11-year-olds in the Northeast United States. Good job, Isaiah. I'm rooting for you, buddy. Next year, we're going to try to make nationals. He's got another year in the 12. So I know, I know the running world a little bit. I'm, I'm still learning. Uh, I'm into the wrestling world now because my daughter is a competitive wrestler and she's getting more serious. So I'm learning about the wrestling world. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by other sports, you know, and their, their niches and whether the coaching philosophies are similar comparison and contrast between uh, different, uh, different sports and tennis. I know tennis very well. I'm learning about these other sports. So it's fascinating for me. I think... It's true that in track, well, no, I would say in tr the, the cross-country and track meets that I've been to, the parents are very vocal. And it's true that the, the, the runners are often segregated and the parents can't come on to the track. But some of the meets, the parents are extremely vocal. I've seen some crazy stuff. I've seen parents swearing at their kids as they're, you know, coming up to the finish line. And, uh, you know, maybe those, you know... I can't speak for the entire industry. I don't know the industry well enough yet, but uh, what about soccer? I don't know soccer too well. So if you think it, uh, maybe the anti-parent approach. What's up, guys? What's up with that? We got disconnected. Sorry, amigos. So let's do a wrap-up, and let's get to the, the mailbox and grab bag. It's, it's been a really good show. I don't know what happened. We got disconnected. Could have been internet or something it's happened before but what a bummer we we're having we had a lot of people on the line so please try to log back on tune back in if you can but anyway let's go to the grab bag the mailbox i don't have i don't have a good name for the segment yet so what was the first question first question was okay i had a family from india who i'm helping online I believe it's from India. And the dude, the dad, is working with his daughter. And he wants to know how to develop power in the surf. So we had a question about developing power in the surf. So what I tell parents, if you want to develop a really good server, here's the deal. Get an American football, like a little Nerf football, or Nerf is good, for, especially for young kids, a mini football. And throw that thing, teach your kid to throw a spiral, and throw it regularly, three, four times a week, bring it, bring it to the tennis court and throw it there. I think throwing a, an American football is great for developing the shoulder and eventually developing a big serve. Play baseball. If you're in the U.S., play Little League. Uh, or, or throw a baseball. Do a lot of throwing. Basically, the best way, if you want to have a great server down the road 
When the kid is older, get them involved with throwing and throwing sports. It doesn't have to be part of an organized team, right? You, can, you just need to throw a lot and develop the shoulder musculature and, and, and maybe get the technique better. But in my experience, the kids who threw a lot when they were younger always develop powerful you know, it's, it's as simple as that. And kids who just played soccer when they were young usually have trouble getting the juice on the serve, right? So you see that a lot in Spain. You see a lot of the Spanish kids, they never throw. You see it in the U.S. a lot. A lot of girls never throw when they're little. And then as they get older, you, you got a problem. You, you just can't get a lot of juice on the serve. So I think it's a huge developmental mistake not to have your kids throw. Over, over, they have to do a lot of overhead movements. Another thing that I recommend is using a small medicine ball. You can do a lot of overhead movements with the medicine ball. And what else? I like cable machines and bands are very good for doing exercises for the, you can mimic the service motion. Uh, to develop power, but it's as simple as learning to throw and throwing frequently, throwing for speed, throwing for distance, and that's a great way to develop the shoulder for serving, and that's what I recommend to all my families. Is that that's what you got to do? I don't think there's a better way to do it. It's also fun. It's fun to go out and throw the ball. It's fun to bring a little football to the tennis court or a base or you know play catch with a. Uh, some sort of softball or, or to play catch with a baseball and mitt. It's a lot of fun. And you're, you're developing a big serve. Uh, you will develop a big serve down the road. And as we know, on the pro tour today and in college, having a big serve is critical, right? The, the serve is such a weapon nowadays. Everyone's serving 130s, 140s. Incredible power development on the serve. It's really important to lay that foundation young. In Spain, all the kids are playing soccer, and it's not a coincidence. The Spanish players are somewhat diminutive. They're, they're, they tend to be smaller stature. But the real reason why a lot of Spanish players don't have a great serves is because they don't throw. They don't, have little, they don't have little league there. One of the reasons we have such great serves in the U.S. is because we have baseball here, and baseball is still very popular, right? So that's my recommendation I hope that helps. The other reason they don't build good servers in Spain, I'll give you two reasons, actually, very interesting. One is that they don't spend a lot of time prioritizing the serve in Spain. And I've, I've criticized Spanish tennis many times for this. The serve is, is just underweighted in a lot of their practices, so they're not getting a lot of serve practice time as it is. And another reason is, and it, it, some, some, it actually comes from the Tony Nadal philosophy. Tony believes that you should not serve more than 20 balls at a time or you risk injury. Now, that type of philosophy, while well-intentioned, is extremely conservative. And I, I think contrary to developing a big serve. Because if, if you're not willing to go out and do a, a bunch in a row, you, you may not develop the shoulder uh, with the same ultimate uh, power producing capacity as, as, um, as compared to the kids who are, who are 
who are, are doing a, a lot of survey. The, the, the kids in Spain or too little serving. The kids in Spain are often, if they're only doing 20 serves and then resting, 20 serves and then resting, they're not, they're not, they, they many times are not training their shoulder enough. So it's actually, I, I appreciate Tony's care and concern because he's trying to prevent injury. But sometimes you can go too far in the conservative way and you're trying to prevent injury, but you're actually preventing little kids from developing a, a powerful serve, powerful arm. arm. And I think that is a very, it's, it's a dangerous philosophy in that sense. It's very safe, but for example, you see that with Rafael. You see that with, with Nadal. He, he doesn't have the best serve, you know, and is that because when he was younger, Tony limited his serve too much? Or was it because he just played soccer? I mean, those are factors. Those are, those are major factors in serve development. All right, mailbox question number two. I have a student online from England. He wants to know whether he should go with a two-hander or a one-hander on his backhand. I said, dude, stop going back and forth. Pick one and let's do this, right? Just pick one. He, he sent me his videos. They both look really good. And what do you think the first question I asked him was? Okay, which one feels comfortable or most comfortable to you? So it's, it's a personal thing. Obviously, you can develop a great two-hander or a great one-hander. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Now, there are some advantages and disadvantages to the two-hander versus the one-hander. I wrote a very comprehensive article talking about the advantages and disadvantages for TennisPlayer.net magazine, John Yandel's magazine. It was published, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago. I, I have it on my blog, prodigymaker.com. So if you're interested in reading that article, I could try to find it and put it, I'll, I'll try to find it and put and link it to the show notes, but really good article on, on the positives and negatives of the two-hander vis-a-vis the one-hander. And anyway, to make a long story short, you got to find what feels most comfortable for you. So it's personal preference. You shouldn't have a, a firm bias that dictates one or the other because it it depends on, on the person. And the other question that I asked my student from England is what does the one-hander feel like on high balls? Because if the two-hander is better on high balls, I, w- I would definitely lean towards the two-handed backhand because typically one-handed players, they struggle a lot with, with high balancing topspin. And that's one of the most difficult things to learn and to, to master as a one-handed backhand player is how to handle high balls and take them early and on the rise. So those are the, the first two questions that I look for. And I have a whole sort of progression that I use to with young kids to develop uh, their backhand to determine which one is more appropriate for them. I try to experiment with the two-hander and the one-hander and see uh, to my eye, which one looks more fluid, which one looks stronger, which one looks more coordinated, and then we try to roll with that one. But I think as coaches and parents, we should be very careful not to have a firm bias, uh, not to be fixed on one or the other, because every child is different, every player is different, and some players may be better off with a one-hander. I've had many double-handed players that I've converted to a one-hand. It's always a small 
smaller percentage than two-handers nowadays, but I've had a good chunk of players who we've done that, and it's been very successful. At the same time, I would say the majority of my players are two-handed players, and they're super solid. They're good on the return. They're better on high balls, you know, things like that. Uh, that that's why I usually lean towards the two-hander. We did a show on this where we talked about the two-hander. Uh, we talked about the backhand. I'll, I'll try to link to the show as well. I believe it was one of our earlier podcasts, probably probably in the first 10. I'll have to find it for you guys, and I'll, and I'll try to link it. Because we did a whole, a whole show talking about the backhand and what's the future of the two-handed backhand and things like that. I definitely probably favor a two-handed backhand, but I'm always on the lookout for kids who are more natural one-handers. And there's no reason why you can't develop uh, a successful one-handed backhand nowadays. You see it's you see fewer players on tour using a one-hander, but you, you still see many successful players, even at the pro level with with uh, one-handers. Uh, case in point, you saw uh, the recent ATP Finals with team and... Well, who, who did team play? Or was it the next gen final? No, it was uh, team versus a uh, slips mine. But we had two one-handers in the the finals of the recent ATP championships, and gosh, who was it? Team, sorry, slips my slips my mind. I'm sure you guys will 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 comment and let me know. But you see many top players now still with the one-handers, and many number one players in the world have had a one-hander. So you know, uh, um, the answer is go with what feels best for you. And if you're, they both feel pretty good, go with the two-hander because two-hander is more, more the future, I think. But one-hander can still be good. Two-hander is uh, leaning towards a little more. That's more like the, the modern uh, future thing. And it has a few advantages that I like, like with the return. But basically, they both can be really good. And it doesn't matter if the two-hander is arguably better because some kids are, will always be better off with a one-hander. And that's the way you're going to train them. All right, last question is from my, one of my students. Uh, third question in the mailbox. And he actually came up to me tonight. He's like, Chris, I know you're doing your show tonight. And I need you to answer this question on the show. <laughs> it's really cool. So I was like, okay, dude, what's the question? And he goes, well, I'm having a lot of trouble with my emotions. I'm getting really angry on the court. What do I do? How do I fix that? I was like, man, that, that is a tough that's a tough question for me to answer on the podcast, on the show, but I will do my best. Okay, here we go. How do you control your emotions and keep your anger in check when you play? So here's what I recommend, the basics of, the basics of some sport psychology for kids. And what my little buddy was asking me is he was saying, you know, do I need a psychologist, a sports psychologist? I'm not huge on that, especially for young kids. I don't like bringing out the big guns, the heavy hitters, the high-priced sports psychologists when a kid is young. I think that a child can learn basic building block sports psychology skills, mental toughness skills, and they should learn those first and then maybe go to the, the heavy hitter later down the road if the kid is still struggling mightily with emotional control or, or other, other areas of psychology and sports psychology. So when the kids are young, I really don't like to go to the sports psychology. I'm sorry for all you sports psychology 
pros out there who are trying to sell lessons and, and things like that. I, I think that as an aside, I will say that sports psychology is one of those industries where I think there's a lot of snake oil salesmen. There's a lot of shuck and jive. There is unfortunately a lot of bad sports psychologists out there. There's a lot of guys and girls, women and men selling, I don't know, uh, inefficient methods. Uh, They're wasting a lot of time and charging a lot of money. So I think there is a lot of bad practices in that industry, a lot of misleading claims and a lot of systems, quote unquote, psychology systems, methods that are have very poor outcomes. They don't have good results. So I would just caution you guys when you're when you're looking for uh, psychology helps, working with sports psychologists, you have to be very careful whom you choose. I'm not saying they're all bad. I know some very good sports psychologists, but I just think that's a field where there's a lot of shuck and jive. There's a lot of deception. And there's a lot of, uh, if, if not deception, there's a lot of, a, a lot of people who are, are, are not good at getting results. So they're good at charging money and setting up sessions, but they don't actually get good results. They're not results uh, tested or driven. Now, that's my opinion. I, what I prefer that young kids do and, and families who are interested in developing mental toughness is let's get some basic building blocks done. Let's build the character the way Tony Nadal does it. Simple, simple and efficient. Let's, let's get the, let's work on the, this is what I've been working on with some of my students. Let's get the first emotional response right. The posture and the body language, the first emotional response after a lost point or after a bad point. Let's work on that skill. Very, very simple. How do you behave immediately following a lost point? Should be primarily positive. Should be usually positive. It can be occasional letting off steam or getting upset, but primarily positive, a positive, constructive response. We work on rituals, very basic things, very simple sports psychology. All the kids have to have good routines. And... I, I try to work on breathing, uh, good rhythmic breathing, diaphragmatic breathing. The diaphragm is the, the muscle that, that helps control the, 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 the lungs expansion and contraction. So deep, deep breathing, chest rising and falling and controlled breathing, learning to manipulate your breath. I work on that with children, with kids. I think that's important. Just simple visualization can be good for, for lots of kids. I, I believe in, in the power of visualizing well and positive self-coaching. These are some of the basics that I use with my students. And I don't think you need someone with a PhD to do it. You just need a, a parent or a coach who's involved and who can support the kid as they're, as they're working through some of these big emotions that they're feeling and, and, and working through the anxieties and stresses of a match. So some of those basic building blocks are key. I'll be honest, I think half of my students, when they're young, I work with a lot of young kids, they just they don't seem mature enough to, to even work on those simple things. 
which I think is a shame. And I would say about half of my students are willing to, to get into it. I think there's a big danger with sports psychology to get too much into the, uh, too hyper-analytical. And that is a big danger with sports psychologists who are very uh, technical or quantitative or have a PhD. They, they, they can get uh, too much into the kid's brain, get them thinking too much, overanalyzing, and that can actually affect performance. So I think uh, for, that, for that reason alone, aside from the fact that I don't believe in shelling out a ton of money for psychology uh, lessons, especially with young kids, that that when 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 you're working with uh, when you're working on psychology, you keep it really simple. Keep it really simple so the kids aren't overanalyzing things. Too much analysis can cause a loss of confidence, and and what we want when players go out and compete, we want automation. We want confidence. We don't want them overanalyzing. And sometimes with, with some of the psychology people I've studied with, I've seen their approach, and it's just they get too much involved. The kids start reflecting too much on themselves, and it, and it can actually backfire. So you have to be really careful like that. Keep things simple and, and work on these basic mental toughness skills. First emotional response after a point, the point is over. The basic routines, visualization, different times of the match, pre-match. Manipulating your breath, very important to learn how to breathe. Obviously, we breathe, but the kids are like, what do you mean, breathe? Well, manipulating your breathing so you can calm yourself when you're feeling stressed. And, and positive self-coaching. So many kids that I work with are hyper-negative with themselves. They, they have a constant stream of invective that they hurl at themselves which is uh, uh, really sad, and they can't escape it. They're, they're like a constant critic. They're, they're always demeaning themselves, devaluing themselves. They're criticizing themselves. And that judgment needs to stop for those children. And the first step is to start replacing the bad thoughts with good ones and trying to find constructive, positive coaching comments that they can give to themselves. And it sounds so simple, but... Those, even those simple, those basic simple things that I mentioned are really hard for kids to learn and do repeatedly under the pressures of a match. It's, it's like everything in a match, uh, everything gets thrown out the window and kids start behaving like madmen out there, or mad, mad women out there, uh, like, like lunatics. And you, you can't let your kid become a lunatic on the tennis court and... Getting back to the initial topic of the show, parenting, I think parents have a, a unique insight and, a, and if they're a well, well bonded to their child, can have a tremendous influence on the mental side of things and, the, and they, can, they should be involved with the mental training of, of their children. And, and in a way, you are from the very beginning, just by virtue of being a parent and raising your kid from the very beginning, you are affecting their character and you're affecting their mental toughness as you raise them. The way you choose to raise your child is, is going to affect their character on the court. It's going to affect their ability to handle pressure and stress and the anxiety of, of playing tennis. So whether you like it or not as a parent, I think that's going to be a, a, an important job for you. 
And you can choose to embrace that job or not. Te- teaching your kid good character and teaching your kid some of the skills that they'll need under pressure. Uh, you know, how to handle their emotions, how to be positive with themselves, how to breathe and, and control their nervous system, and, and how to develop good routines that they stick with uh, during the, the ups and downs of a match. That these are some basic uh, fundamentals that as a parent you, you can instill in your child and, and start to work on at a very young age and you can make them a better competitor that way. You can, you can help them learn some of the traits of being a champion. There have been many parents who have not been tennis coaches. They don't have a tennis background, but they've taught their kids good character. They've taught their kids to be mentally tough and they've taught their kids to be physically tough, to be good and, and athletic. And I think we've seen that time and again. The most recent example is maybe Coco Goff comes to mind, where, where her dad, Corey, is not a tennis player, but he has an open mind, a growth mindset, and he's learning from all the coaches around him. He has been learning over the years, but he's very good on the mental side, supporting his daughter, Coco. And also, he's an athlete who understands the physical development and staying, staying healthy and developing a good athlete with good coordination and, um, and uh, speed, agility, and things like that. So I think that parents who may not have an expertise in tennis, if, they, if, you have, if you can learn some of the mental side, if you can learn about the physical side, keeping your kid healthy and strong and, and making them a better athlete, that is critical no matter what sport they're doing. But... Uh, you know, in, in tennis, in tennis, the the pressures on a young child are super high, and tennis players need a lot of support in terms of learning these these sports psychology skills. But I don't think you need expensive, fancy sports psychologists with PhDs. So that's so that's what I would recommend uh, to my little buddy. I would say let's start with the basics. Show me that you can. Uh, start working on the first emotional response. You can start working on, on actually controlling your breathing when it counts. And you take that seriously. Show me you're working on positive self-coaching. Show me that your, work, your, your routines are solid when you play. You have good, healthy uh, rituals and routines. You know, and, and show me that you're visualizing success, visualizing positive uh, positive uh, results and and visualizing good good patterns and good technique and things like that, positive outcomes, and if if you start getting those building blocks in place, I bet you the emotions, the anger that you're feeling will be it may not go away completely, but it will be easier to manage, and that's the goal. The goal is to not to eliminate anger completely, but to channel the anger into something constructive or to mitigate the anger, uh, to, to mitigate it enough so that it doesn't, take, it doesn't distract you from your game plan and from defeating your rival. So that's what I would say. Guys, it was a really awesome show. That's all the, the uh, mail that we have tonight. Remember that you can always send in your mail questions to me, chris at chrislewitt.com is my email. You can send me uh, any questions that you'd like me to answer on the next program, and I'm, I will dutifully answer them live. Also, guys, please, if you like the show, 
Give me a thumbs up. Please share the show with friends. Please share the show with groups uh, that you think may be interested in, in, in the content here. Did I say content? I don't like that word. Uh, share it with friends who are interested in, in high-performance junior tennis. Share it with friends who are coaches or parents uh, or, or tennis players. We are a serious tennis show dealing with the high-performance junior world. And so those are the, those are the audience members we're, we're looking for, people that are interested in junior development, uh, whether they're parents, players, or coaches. And I don't think there's many shows focusing on that niche. Uh, and I know you guys are my hardcore audience. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in and listening and watching. Uh, I really appreciate you guys. The show is steadily growing. And I appreciate people who are willing to put up with some of the, uh, the, lack of, the lack of polish on the show and are willing to stay with me and, and share in, in the discussion. And, but also for even the people who are just listening in, and I know that if you're listening carefully, you're picking up good information that you can use on the court or with your players. I appreciate you guys so much. Thanks again. Have a great night and God bless. We hope you enjoyed the program. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and recommend the show to your friends. We greatly appreciate your likes and shares. Thank you for your support of the show and for helping us grow our audience. If you would like to train with Chris, please visit chrislewitt.com for more info. You can also join Chris's online school, clta.teachable.com, and follow his blog at prodigymaker.com. A reminder that all show archives can be found at youtube.com forward slash chrislewitt, and the show can be watched live on Facebook. Just search Chris Lewitt on Facebook to join the show. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Vamos!